On this edition of the Nesson Celtics podcast, we'll look at the upcoming West Coast road trip, give you our quarter mark superlatives, and talk about this LeBron James courtside Karen drama. and welcome to another episode of the Nesson Celtics podcast. I'm Dakota Randall alongside Adam London. We're without our normal host, Alex Francisco, today. She's off. We hope to get her back next week. But for now, it's Adam and I stealing this py- steering this pirate ship. Uh, Adam, how you doing? Doing all right. It's uh, been an uh, eventful couple days with the Celtics. You know, like one of their biggest games of the season as far as, you know, opponent goes, critical injury. So uh, a lot to get into. Yeah, and I feel like, at least right now, the uh, with, with the Super Bowl going on and, and Tom Brady being in the Super Bowl, essentially still a New England sports storyline, a lot of people sort of are forgetting about the Celtics here for a couple weeks. Uh, but I still think they're a very interesting team to talk about. There's still a lot, a lot of meat on that bone to dissect. And uh, so there's a lot to get to. Uh, we're going to do our quarter mark superlatives. I'm not sure if we're technically at the quarter mark or just before or after, but regardless, we're right around a fourth of the way through the season. So what better time to do superlatives? So we'll get to all that in a little bit, go around the NBA. But first, I want to get into the Celtics-Lakers game from over the weekend. Uh, I thought it was a, an entertaining game. Celtics wound up losing, uh, what was it, 95-96, something along, yeah, 95-96. Uh, close game, obviously facing the defending NBA champions. You would have liked to see them get a win. Uh, Adam, for you, is this one of those games you file under, uh, you know, moral victory and that they play the Lakers so close? Or is it another example of Celtics played a tough team close, but they're still not quite good enough uh, to, to beat those kind of teams on a regular basis? See, in a way, I don't only because of how the Lakers were playing going into that game. Like they lost a kind of demoralizing tight game in Philly against the Sixers. Then they shockingly got blown out by the Pistons in Detroit. So you're dealing with a team, obviously, one of the most talented in the league, but kind of reeling for the first time this season. And you have them on your home floor. This is a time you kind of want to, you know, make a statement, you know, put your stamp on, you know, the reigning champions. And they had them on the ropes and they just couldn't, you know, get over the top. And, you know, hopefully that's not a metaphor moving forward of, you know, being right there and not being able to finish. But. I mean, there obviously were some moral victory signs, but I'm not really chalking it up at this point. Yeah, yeah. For me, this is really two things. My two my two big takeaways were one, it just it, it further underscores how much it sucks not having fans in the stands. Uh, just because you can imagine a close game, Celtics Lakers, 96-95, the Lakers are defending NBA champions. LeBron James in the house, the whole thing. Uh, you can just imagine how the Garden crowd would have been, especially towards the end of that game, uh, with the turnover at the end, and the Celtics almost won. Uh, and you know, who knows? Maybe this, maybe that's the kind of game the Celtics ride the crowd to a victory. And obviously, every team is dealing with that, but it just it kind of stinks, especially when you get that kind of rivalry game. Uh, you know, hopefully that changes before the end of the year. Probably not, but we'll see. But other than that, I think the big takeaway is is Kemba Walker only scoring four points, four assists, six rebounds. Again. We're, I think we're all going to give him a long leash as he works his way back from 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 the knee issue, the uh, the stem cell injection. Um, he's he's been saying that he feels great, that he's that he has no pain, that he's he's back to where he was before the issue cropped up last year. Um, but I look at it and I say every time the Celtics are against a really tough team that can find a way to really neutralize Kemba Walker, he hasn't been able to rise above it. And again, maybe it's all about the knee. 
but he, he had some really bad shooting games in the playoffs uh, in the bubble. Uh, you know, he did not have a good game against the Lakers, missed the potential game winning shot at the end. I'm just wondering for you, Adam, how close are you to getting concerned about him? Um, are you pushing the panic button on Kemba Walker? Just where are you on that? I don't think I'm pushing the panic button, but I do agree with you just because as we, as we've seen dating back to his UConn days, he's like as close to a lock as when it comes to that step back mid range shot. And that's what he got at the end. And, you know, you know, aside from having the ball in Tatum or maybe Brown's hands, that's probably the shot you want. You know, he had enough space. It was a shot that he's, you know, like I said, probably nine times out of 10 is drilling. And he missed it. And, you know, it's like I said, he's, he's coming off the injury. It's been a couple games now. But in that moment, you want your best players to rise up. And like you just said, it's the amount of times that he hasn't delivered. They're kind of starting to pile up now, which is, you know, a little concerning. Yeah. And, and one thing, I don't know about you, but one thing I've noticed with him since he's joined the Celtics is he's a little bit streakier than I thought. And, and by that, I mean, not a streaky shooter in your typical sense. You know, typically when you think of a streaky shooter, I think people think of, you know, players that live and die behind the three point line that just jack up a bunch of threes, your Kyle Corvers, your JJ Reddicks, whatever. But with Kemba, it just seems either has a really good game or he gets off to a great start and he kind of rides that and he has a really good night. But if he gets off to a slow start, it seems like he gets down on himself. He loses his confidence I didn't watch him closely enough when he was in Charlotte to know if that was the case there. But I just, I, part of me wonders if he's just putting too much pressure on himself here in Boston since he's been here, you know, a marquee franchise. People look at him as a third piece of a big three that if he was performing as people think he can, maybe they'd be a championship caliber team. And maybe he's trying to live up to the contract. But I don't know. I just, I don't know about you, but I, I look at him and I think sometimes he just puts way too much pressure on himself. And also like, looking like his importance is huge to begin with. You know, you want your star players to rise up, but a kind of awakening, you know, awakening is too strong that I had. And this is kind of obvious, but after smart went down, um, it just made the Celtics lack of depth. So blatant, like right. it was a tight game and there was like two minutes left and Shemi was out there. And I was like, Shemi can't be on the floor right now. And then I was thinking, I was like, well, wait, like no one else can, they really have no other options. Right. So, I mean, if Kemba for the sake of this team's success moving forward, he can't keep having duds to this degree. I'm not saying he has to go off, you know, like 30 points every game, obviously that would be nice, but you know, a single digit point game in a game of this magnitude, you just can't have that. Yeah. And it's a tricky spot because for the Celtics with Kemba Walker, he's not going to give you much on defense. He's, he tries and he puts in good effort and he, he can D up against some guards, but he just, he doesn't have enough on the defensive end. So you hope his offensive output overcomes that. Uh, but on nights when it's not, you, you kind of have to put Marcus Smart in and Marcus Smart, obviously some, sometimes he has good offensive nights, but you also worry about his shot selection sometimes. And sometimes he could hurt the team down the stretch and he's, he's not going to give you the kind of scoring that Kemba Walker at his peak can but at the same time, it's, it's, it's pretty clear that the Celtics, if they're going to be a championship caliber team, if they're going to compete with the Nets, the Sixers, some of these teams out West, they need a real third option, a real top-notch scoring threat to go alongside with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And again, if Walker's not going to be it, then you have to put, you have to give more run to Marcus Smart at the point guard spot. And he's not, he'll give it to you on defense, but not on offense. So it's kind of a tricky spot, uh, which is why, you know, I like the idea of trading for someone like J.J. Redick that can give you a spark off the bench for offense, give you some knockdown shooting. Uh, 
Um, I don't know. I, real quick, just what have you thought about the JJ Redick trade rumors at this point? Are, are you in on that? I mean, I, I love the fit with the Celtics just because like we were talking about last week, it's just the knockdown three point shooter you have could get off the bench, which you don't have right now, like not even close. Right. But I mean, if we're going off of Sham's recent report that the Sixers and the Nets are also heavily involved, if Redick has any say, I think he would prefer both of those teams than the Celtics just because, um, well, one, his family lives in Brooklyn. And also, I mean, to think about the amount of open looks he would have alongside, you know, Harden, Kyrie, and Durant. I mean, he, he could be left, like, wide open on some of those plays. Yeah, and, I think the fact that he lives in New York, our offseason's there, like you said, might, might play into it. Um, and the fact that he has history with the Sixers organization, he might prefer to go there. If I were him, I'd probably want to go to the Sixers more so just because, again, the familiarity and, you know, he'll get open shots on the on the, the nets, but at the same time, they already have Joe Harris, who at this point is a better version uh, of JJ Redick. And I just, I don't know really with the talent on that team, I'm not sure he'd see any meaningful minutes. So if I were him, I'd want to go to the, the Sixers, but yeah, I'm all in on the Celtics going after him. Um, I think they absolutely should do that. And uh, before we move on, yeah, we, Adam, you alluded to it, the Marcus Smart injury. Uh, he went down with calf strain. Some people after he suffered the injury, we're speculating that maybe it was worse than that. Maybe it was an Achilles. Uh, the Celtics announced that it was a grade one calf strain. He'll only be out for one to two weeks. So it seems like they dodged a bullet there. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. But again, you know, it seems like the Marcus Martin injury, not as serious as it could have been. Uh, and looking ahead, Celtics have a six game West coast road trip on tap. Now that starts Tuesday night in golden state against the warriors. Then they have the Kings, the Clippers, the Suns, the jazz, uh, so that is so five game trip, not six. Uh, that's that's a gauntlet. I mean, the Jazz, what they just won eleven in a row. The Clippers are the Clippers. Suns are a great, good young team. Warriors are decent enough. It's Steph Curry, Curry obviously a threat. Uh, Adam, what do you want to see the Celtics do on this trip? Like, what's what's a record that you want to see? Uh, just you know, what what are you thinking going into it? You know, honestly, I think at this stage, and especially that it coincides with the smart injury. I think a win for the Celtics might just be not getting thoroughly embarrassed. You know, <laughs> if, if you can get out of that trip, honestly, even two and three, I think like first like road trip, you know, there hasn't been much travel, even, you know, with uh, the road games they've had this season. It's like going out West, if you said a gauntlet, they can even pick up two undermanned. I think you're leaving there being like, all right, like we made it out alive. You know, it's, we're not, you know, hovering over the panic button. And then conversely, you know, if if they, you know, pull out three or four, I, I mean, I think a five-game sweep is kind of out of the question. But three or four, I think they could pr prove a lot of doubters wrong and, you know, show some real guts here. Yeah, I, I'm looking for three. I think they're good enough to get three out there. Uh, they play the Warriors Tuesday night, and then so the back-to-back -back, the next night they play against the Kings. For whatever reason, the Celtics always seem to, like, struggle against the Kings. Uh, at least the last couple of matchups, those games have been really close. Buddy Heald always seems to score a million points against the Celtics. So we'll see if that happens on the second night of a back-to-back, -back, if they just get run out of the gym by Buddy Heald and those guys. Um, so, but I think if they can, they just got to win one of those two games. And then I like this. I like the chances of them picking up at least one more game uh, between the Clippers and the Suns. And then it all comes down uh, to that jazz game next Tuesday. And that'll be a great game. Uh, I think, you know, the Jazz have been one of the best teams in the NBA this year. Uh, Celtics will have had a couple a couple of days rest. So I think that could be a great game. But I'm looking for three wins. I want to see the Celtics make a statement. 
So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but again, so we said we do some superlatives at the quarter mark. Everybody loves superlatives. I love superlatives. Adam loves superlatives. So let's do some. Uh, what our first quarter uh, moment of the season. Uh, so again, our top moment from the first from the first quarter of the year so far for the Celtics. Adam, what are you going with? So I'm going to go one uh, off the floor, and it was when uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown uh, did a joint press conference together um, in the game on the night of the Capitol riots. And just across sports, you always like to see when, you know, the face of the franchise use their platform for, you know, to hear their voice heard for a cause they see fit. And like they both, you know, in, in such an emotional and just in so many different ways type of day for them to just speak so poised and do it together. And just visually it, it like made a statement without even like on top of what they actually said. I just thought it was just a really cool moment for both of them and just for the NBA in general. Yeah, I agree that that was a good one. And uh, I think, you know, for the obvious reasons, I think it's great that both players came out and said something. Uh, I think they do. I think both did a good job, especially Jalen Brown, um, you know, to make it just sort of a more selfish thing about the Celtics and their fans. I think it just further reinforces that Celtics uh, and, and their fans need to be happy that these are the two players uh, that are the, the that are the future of the franchise. I mean, so many teams get one or two young stars in, and they you know there's all this hype, and they start dreaming about what the future could be. But you know the the, the players don't have their heads on straight, uh, or they don't kind of have what it takes. They're not born leaders. Um, I think the Celtics absolutely have to in Tatum and Brown. Obviously, uh, Brown is a bit more outspoken with some things than Tatum. But regardless, both players seem to really have good heads on their shoulders, and. Um, you know, I think whenever these kind of things happen, whether it was the stuff that happened in the bubble or the Capitol riots, uh, they do a really good job. And um, again, I think Celtics fans should be proud of them and they should be optimistic uh, that the, the franchise really is in good hands with them. Uh, so I agree. That's a, that was one of the better moments. Uh, mine, uh, I'm just going to stick on the court for this one. Uh, the Peyton Pritchard game winner. It was now with the caveat that it came at the end of the Celtics blowing a big lead that they had. So it should have never gone to that point in the first place. Uh, it also, as we've been over on this podcast, included an embarrassing Marcus Smart moment where he should have been teed up after the game winner and potentially cost his team a game. Thankfully, the ref bailed him out. But regardless, you know, that was kind of at the peak of the Peyton Pritchard hype before he went down with the injury. Uh, and just, I don't know, everybody loves a game winner. Uh, who doesn't? Again, it wasn't necessarily at the buzzer. I think there were 0.2 seconds left. Uh, but still a cool, cool moment that, that – uh, that they managed to get. And it was kind of, it was neat that it was Peyton Pritchard again, because everybody was buzzing about him for those couple of weeks. And then that was kind of his, his top moment of the season so far. Yeah. And, and that was another case of your point earlier of just when you reminded how much it sucks not having fans. Like I know that game wasn't in Boston, but just the idea of Peyton Pritchard silencing the crowd in South beach is just like funny to think about, like, you know, like to think about right. that crowd shows up late, but they do get pretty bonkers when the game gets close and it gets late. And, just the idea of Peyton Pritchard jumping like not over, but around Bam Adebayo and putting in the game winner and just shutting everyone up would have been pretty funny. Yeah. And, and one of my favorite things to do whenever there's a game winning shot or anything like that is to, I constantly uh, rewind the replays to look at reactions of fans in the stands, always just find, uh, you know, somebody who has the super dramatic, like throwing their hands up, putting their head near the seat, just totally devastated. Uh, or to see what the, the you know the players on the bench do, so yeah, not having fans in the stands has robbed us of, of a lot of those great moments where 
yeah, I know, you know, a visiting team goes in, gets a game winner, and everyone in the stands just looks completely demoralized. And to your point, you know, <laughs> to, to, to have them watch and go, who the hell, who is this Peyton Pritchard's kid that just scored that game winner? Uh, would have been cool to see, but you know, maybe we'll get something approximating that later in the season. Fingers crossed. That's um, so, uh, yeah, next one. Most improved player, I have a feeling we're both going to have the same one, but why don't you start? Yeah, it's Jalen Brown. Um, and this, I feel like we could have given this award to him last year as well. And the thing you want to see with a player that you draft, or all players, but especially ones that you draft so highly, um, is steady improvement with each passing year. And Browns has done that each year, despite, you know, his role changing, uh, players around him changing. He's improved his game, like, very significantly, very noticeably. And I thought it was funny that someone um, asked him after the game or, or a recent game about his improvement and just kind of assuming that he just went balls to the wall in the off season. And he was saying like, there really wasn't an off season just with all like the COVID-19 regulations. It's just like, and that's makes it even scary to think about that. A lot of this, this guy is just, you know, a natural freak athlete and like seemingly with each passing game is, you know, his basketball game gets more poised and more polished. So, yeah, I think it's a no-brainer, Jalen Brown, no, most improved. Yeah, uh, I'm going Jalen Brown, too, for most improved on the Celtics. Really, I think you can make a case that he's the most improved in the NBA as well. I'd have to look around at the, the league and see some other cases, but I think he's got to be right in that discussion. Uh, and just the numbers alone, I mean, are incredible. He's leading the team. So he has more, and more than Jason Tatum in scoring at 27.1 points per game. And across the board, uh, all of his numbers are up from last season. The only one that, that are down are, are re total rebounds per game by about one rebound per game. But everything else, points, blocks, steals, assists, free throw percentage, three-point field goal percentage and field goal percentage, all of them are up from last year. They're all career highs uh, from what I can tell. And uh, so, again, just, you know, he's having a legitimate career season. Uh, he's taken another step. And, um, I mean, he's, he's been awesome. I mean, we've talked, we talk about it every week. Every, all Celtics fans are talking about it, how great Jalen Brown has been. But I don't think you can say it enough. He really has been awesome. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of teased this take uh, a couple weeks ago. I, don't, I still don't know if I necessarily believe it, but I'm curious for you, Adam. Uh, are you starting to entertain any, th any thought that Jalen Brown actually might be better than Jason Tatum? Um. I'll put it this way. It's, it's at the point now where last, last year, I think we wouldn't have even have talked about it. I think it would have just been like, you know, okay, you know, kind of like laugh it off. Now it's at least worthy of discussion. And I think it could get into a point where it's an actual like close debate because I think we mentioned it last week. It's at this point, it's tough to find a flaw in his game, you know? And seriously, I and can't find one. I really can't. You really can't. And it's not only that there's no flaws is it's that he's also making things that were perceived as flaws in the beginning. They're starting to become strengths, whether it become like his free throw shooting, or I know at the beginning of his career, he'd be kind of reckless attacking the basket, kind of just going for like dunks or just trying to rely on brute strength. Whereas now he's kind of picking his and choosing his spots better. So, yeah, I mean, I like, we're also like, obviously have to consider Tatum's going to steadily improve as well, I think. And the ceiling is, you know, who knows where it is for him. But yeah, at a bare minimum, I think it's not a reckless debate. Yeah, no, it's 
to the point where you know you shouldn't get laughed at in your face if you bring that take up i think before every, people would go you know what are you talking about but now yeah i think like you said it's a discussion and for me i mean and you know maybe i'm being a little bit more of a a bit too much of a basketball grump here but to me it's all about free throws not all about free throws i mean the strategies made in, in all aspects of this game are huge and, and honestly maybe free throws are the least important but he has always been a shaky free throw shooter like 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 Shaky in the sense that I think he was afraid to go to the line and he was front rimming everything and it was just weird. Uh, but this year he's up to 75% and I'll take 75%. I mean, you know, if he could somehow get into the eighties, great. Uh, but it's to the point now where I'm no longer like when Jalen Brown used to go to the line, I was like, he's absolutely missing one of these. And one of them's going to be front rims. Uh, that's, I no longer feel that I'm totally confident when he goes um, again, 75% is totally doable. Uh, and he's improved at the free throw line each of the last three seasons. So maybe he'll take another jump next year. Uh, but again, I think that's also made a huge difference for him where he drives with so much confidence and so much authority now that I think he is just looking to get fouled and get the end one because he's, he's no longer scared of going to the line at all. Not like he was before, but I just think when you, when you're confident at the free throw line, I think it changes a lot of things for a player. And um, I think it shows with him and the way he's been driving to the basket. Um, Okay, so, but on the other end, you know, Jalen Brown is the most improved player, but to go, you know, on the negative side of things, biggest disappointment, uh, you know, it's, there are a few players, I think, that, that, could, uh, that could take this, take this dubious honor. Uh, who are you giving it to, Adam? So I think this was starting to kind of go off people's radar once Kemba came back, but it was getting pretty obvious there for a bit before that. I think it's Jeff Teague. Um, you know, he came to Boston. I don't think anyone was expecting him to light the world on fire, but at a minimum, it was a guy we thought that, you know, could handle himself and just like calm things down on the, on the floor and, you know, manage the second team. Well, even if it was more of like a, you know, a game manager mode where he was just facilitating, but he's provided next to no upside since that very first game, like not even like flashes. And I think his apps or his, you know, lack of contribution is going to start becoming more evident now that smarts out. So yeah, they could be in pretty big trouble if, you know, their guard depth is even more diminished moving forward. Yeah. Jeff Teague looks washed. I mean, he looks bad. I have to believe water will find its level a little bit on this because he is a career 44% shooter, field goal shooter. Um, and he's always, he's always been right around there for his career. Uh, he hasn't shot below 40% since his rookie season. When he was at uh, 39.6, so basically was at 40%. This year, he's down to 32%. Uh, and so he, he loves doing that floater when he drives to the lane. That hasn't been fallen. And when that's not been falling for him, he doesn't really get many other looks. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's been kind of tough to watch. I, I have to think he'll get a little bit better in the second half, but he might not get that opportunity. Celtics might cut bait and go, go in a different direction. I've kind of been all aboard the Jimmy Fredette train, but I don't really know if that's the answer. I think I just kind of like saying it. Uh, but yeah, Jeff Teague has not been good at all. But my biggest disappointment is Tristan Thompson, because while I while I think Jeff Teague has been worse than Tristan Thompson, I, I think Tristan Thompson's role is greater and had a potential to make a greater impact on the Celtics. And while he's had his moments and he's done his Tristan Thompson thing, getting a ton of offensive rebounds, they basically have had him stop doing that because. It was, it was hurting them in transition. They weren't getting enough guys back the other way. 
And so he's not really on the boards getting offensive rebounds. He hasn't really brought much value. And just in general, he has not been good at all. Um, he's only averaging 5.9 points uh, per game. That's down from 12 last season with the Cavs. Uh, he had he's uh, he averaged over 10 rebounds each of the last two seasons in Cleveland. He's down to 8.4. His blocks are down as well. So are his steals. Now, with the caveat that he's only playing 22 minutes a game, whereas he was 30 minutes a game last year in Cleveland and has always played well over 20. Uh, so his minutes are down. But I just, I don't know about you, but I thought Tristan Thompson was going to make a huge difference for this team. Um, I even thought maybe we'd get some three-pointers uh, from him. I don't know if he's even attempted one. Maybe he's shot one. But regardless, uh, I don't know about you, but he has not been uh, up to snuff for me. Yeah, I think what you're holding out hope for with Thompson is that he kind of turns it on when the playoffs start, just because, you know, he has – plenty of experience from that LeBron run as you know won a championship um which no one else on this team has so um yeah I mean I'm I'm not ready to go as far as saying like Tristan Thompson is you know useless or anything but yeah you definitely want to see more from him because you know as we know the Celtics front court depth isn't isn't superior by any means so we'll see no, no and at this point um I mean, and Daniel Tice is playing more than Tristan Thompson on a minutes, not just barely. He's playing one minute more per game. Uh, but for you, like, are you confident in their front court at this point? Like I've kind of gone back and forth on it where I think they kind of have a good blend of you have Daniel Tice, who's sort of your do everything big. You have Tristan Thompson, who's your typical stay just down low, big man, gobbled up rebounds, strong physical presence. And you have Robert Williams, who's sort of this rim running athletic freak. Seems like a good blend on paper but it hasn't panned out that way as often as I think I or the Celtics would have hoped. Uh, what about you? Are you confident in it or do you think they need to make a move at some so point this season? I'm confident in it getting by just for the course of the regular season, but I don't think it's going to fly against some of these championship contenders that have, you know, the better big men in the league. Like I think Joel Embiid, when he's at his best, will just have his way with the Celtics as we saw in those couple games. Yeah. Even if he's not, even if he's not, you know, and he can force his way into having his way by just getting to the free throw line. Cause as we see, right. he always managed to do that. And, you know, so the other night with Anthony Davis, um, I mean, Kevin Durant can post up on you if he wants. Uh, like we saw Giannis can overpower you too. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to look fine against the Hornets and the Pistons and the Hawks, but, you know, but when you're running up against those, you know, powerhouses in the East and then, if somehow you made it to the finals, it's probably against a team as an, like an elite big man, whether it's Jokic, Davis, one of those guys. So right. yeah, I think it's fine for now, but when it, you know, the lights are brighter, I don't know if it's going to fly. Right. And I mean, it, you know, it defense of the Celtics, I'm not sure any team really have any players that are capable of, of stopping the guys you mentioned, but to your point, I mean, it's when the Celtics face those kind of guys, they, they really seem to get overwhelmed. I mean, they have absolutely no answer for Joel Embiid. And again, not many teams have this year. He's been an MVP candidate, but this to the, I used to like the chance the Celtics chances of sort of overcoming the Embiid factor, because I just thought they were more well coached and they just in general were a better team than the Sixers. Uh, but the way Embiid's playing now uh, and the way the Celtics front court is, I, I don't know. I don't know if they have enough to, to, to sort of overcome that. We'll have to see. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I thought Tristan Thompson would fare better against Embiid. Uh, if it's going to look like it did uh, in that two-game series, then I don't know. So we'll have to see. Um, 
Okay, unsung hero. Um, what do you got, Adam? I'm going to go with Pritchard. And I think it's been made more evident just because of how bad Teague has been. Um, I think, or at least I didn't have much expectations uh, for Pritchard coming out of the draft. I think, you know, more attention was definitely put on Neesmith, not just being the higher pick, but it, he, people thought he had, you know, a skill set that could help the Celtics right away. People thought he was going to be, you know, a knockdown shooter, maybe be a little bit of a three and D guy. But I mean, Pritchard hit the ground running, wasn't really eased in. They kind of just like thrust him into, a, you know, a, a reserve role and he took it in stride and I think played way better than anyone could have predicted. Obviously a bummer that he went down like as he was starting to hit that stride, but you know, he seems like a guy that's not going to be bogged down from a time off or anything. So I'm expecting him to, you know, pick up right where he left off when he comes back. Yeah. And, and real quick, I'm not sure if this still is the case, but I know there was a report last week uh, that the Celtics thought he could be back in time for the Kings game, uh, which is tomorrow night. So we'll have to see. I haven't really seen an update on that. Uh, for me, my unsung hero is Daniel Tice. Maybe not necessarily unsung, just because I think Daniel Tice gets an appropriate amount of credit with Celtics fans. But nevertheless, I'm not. He doesn't get enough credit league wide. I think he's a really good center at this point. Um, he has his limitations, but uh, I think he's great in the pick and roll game. He's a decent enough three point shooter. He's up to 38 percent behind the arc. It was way lower at the start of the season, so that's been climbing. He's nine rebounds a game, five or nine or nine points. Uh, five rebounds, um, gives you a block a game. He plays good defense. I just think in general, uh, Daniel Tice has been a really good player for this team. And, uh, you know, I think he's, I'm not going to say he's one of the best all around bigs in the game, but he's sort of maybe that next tier down. I think any team would love to have Daniel Tice on them. Uh, I think he's been that good. And, uh, you know, hopefully he keeps getting better. Uh, say, so last one, MVP. Um, I think we both have the same answer. Why don't you go first? Yeah, it's Brown again. And I think that's a great testament to him that we view him as both most improved and most valuable. Like if you ask me, I think the Celtics best player is Jason Tatum, but I think most valuable has to be Brown. I mean, it's on top of the stuff we just mentioned about his game, I think for whatever reason, maybe just the national broadcast, we've been seeing more like mic'd up, you know, soundbite stuff from like the huddles and whatnot. And he just seems to always be the guy that's getting them, you know, in the right mindset, rallying the troops and stuff. And that everyone just seems to, you know, like receive everything he says well. And he, he just, he's, he's at that point now where I think one of the better testaments you can give to a player is that they make those around them better. And I think that's true for Jalen Brown, that his own game is improving and he's becoming, you know, even better team player as well. So yeah, he's my pick for MVP. Yeah, me too. And for all the points you said, and, and I think he, I, I agree with the stuff you said about the uh, the mic'd up stuff that we've seen this season. It's been really interesting. He just sort of is giving off this presence of a guy who he's arrived as an, as a star in this league and he knows it, but he's also carrying himself like he still has a lot to prove or that it doesn't really matter that he's got this star stature now. He's always said there's bigger things going on in the world than basketball. Brad Stevens has always said his biggest impact will be made off the basketball court, not on. Uh, and he sort of, he, you can see that with him. Like he, he, he really sounds and, and, and acts like a leader for this team to the point where yeah, I think he always says that Marcus Smart is the heart and soul of this team. I think it's starting to be him. Um, I, I do think we've seen some encouraging stuff from Jason Tatum this year in the leadership regard. 
uh, where there's been a couple instances where he's gotten on the team when they've sort of been playing and not showing good enough effort. Uh, but I think we've seen more of it from Jalen Brown. And um, I don't know about you, but I think going forward, I think this has a chance to be Jalen Brown's team. That doesn't necessarily mean he's the best player, but I think he could be the face of the team and, and the leader going forward. Yeah, I mean, this is probably an extreme example just because those, team those teams won multiple championships. But it was kind of like the LeBron-Dwayne Wade factor um, with the Heat. You know, like LeBron yeah. very clearly was the best player on that team. But it was Dwayne Wade's team. You know, he was the heart and soul of that team. He was kind of just the uh, straw, that, uh, straw that stirred the drink. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I think Tatum's more of, you know – he doesn't have to be the super vocal leader. That's just not everyone's style, but it works for Brown. And I think you need those guys, you know, come playoff time. So, yeah, um, I think we're definitely reaching that point where you could say it's Brown's team. Yeah, and one more note on him. Uh, I don't know if he will. Uh, and I, I don't even know what the deal is with the All-Star game, if they're even going to have it. I know they've sort of talked about trying to have one. But if they just, you know, they are holding at least All-Star voting. Uh, and I don't know how the voting will shake out, but I think, you know, he definitely deserves to be a starter. He's played that way. Uh, and he might even get the nod just based on this a little bit more redundancy at the wing position with Tatum. Uh, he, you know, I could see Jalen Brown maybe finding his way into a guard spot. Um, but regardless of how the voting shakes out, I think he's played like a first team starting all-star this year. Um, and yeah, I agree with you. He's been the MVP of the Celtics. Uh, so we don't have much time left. Uh, I do want to go around the NBA real quick, just hit on a couple, you know, bigger topics from around the league. Uh, Adam, what do you got? Uh, yeah. So watching these last, I think right after the Harden trade went down, people were already coordinating the nets as the Eastern conference champs. And for good reason. I mean, that's just an absurd big three talent wise, but as we saw these last couple of games, like, they might just suck defensively, which like, like that, I mean, to give up 150 points to the Wizards and Insane. lose, like that's, that's like, I know it's the regular season. You don't want to put a ton of stock in it, but that's, that's nuts. And I mean, they're going to have some wiggle room, I think, to add a player to, I, I think they brought on Shumpert, who's a decent player and, you know, maybe they'll do something else, but yeah, I mean, the Sixers are getting better. The Celtics at full health, as we've seen, are no pushover. The Bucs are the Bucs. All I'm saying is I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk to, to the finals like many thought for the Nets when they got hardened. Yeah, I have no idea what to make of them because, like, on one hand, like you said, they are capable of scoring an obscene amount of points uh, when they're playing at their best. We haven't really seen the Durant, Harden, Kyrie engine at full steam yet. Uh, we'll see as the season goes on, but yeah. And maybe the giving up all those points is just a product of you have three guys who have been in the playoffs so often, and they're just kind of over regular season basketball, or at least playing defense in regular season games against teams like the wizards. So maybe they'll lock it down when it matters more, but you're right. It is interesting. I, I could see them going all the way and I could see them getting upset. I don't want to say the first round, but you never know. Uh, yeah, they're, they're a weird case. Um, I don't know, but to me, ultimately, I look at it and say Kevin Durant is so damn good that I, I kind of want to pick him over everybody else. But we'll see. Yeah, they're, I don't know what to make of them yet either. And I agree with you that they could have a tough time reaching the finals. Uh, but for me, my storyline I want to focus on 
is this LeBron James controversy with who the internet and I guess he are now calling the courtside Karen. Uh, in case anybody missed this, it happened during Monday night's game between the Lakers and the Hawks in Atlanta. And LeBron got into an altercation with uh, a female fan, uh, a female fan and her husband, I guess, uh, who had courtside seats, which a lot of people, myself included, didn't realize that that was a thing right now, that you could get courtside seats to an NBA game, but apparently it is. Uh, the woman eventually was ejected, uh, posted a bunch of stuff on social media with a you know bunch of swears, super inappropriate videos that you might want to have headphones on if you're in an office or something. Um, she said that LeBron called out her husband or you know called her husband a bad word um, the husband said something back, but LeBron said something threatening towards the husband. So she was defending her husband. Uh, she also could be heard yelling about how masks and COVID are stupid and just in general, just kind of being a malcontent. Uh, I don't know, Adam, what, what did you make of this whole thing? Well, so my thing, and I always think about this anytime these type of things happen is that people just need to get the idea out of their heads that just because they're sitting close to the court doesn't make them any more important than the people that are sitting in the nosebleeds. Like just because you can put your feet on the hardwood doesn't mean that you can just be completely reckless and do whatever you want. But also I think it's being overblown in the sense that like, I mean, I enjoy is probably not the right word, but when LeBron was talking after the game, he was like, I miss that stuff. He was like, I miss, you know, talking with fans, you know, getting in and, I think this happens way more often than you'd think. The only reason this is getting blown up, one, it's been forever since we've had fans in the stands. And two, I think he just hit the jackpot where it seems like this woman has a pretty big following on Instagram, you know, went on there and just went scorched earth. Um, you know, ultimately, I'm writing it off as not a big deal. I think LeBron himself had some fun with it. But yeah, as far as just the fans, just like, causing a scene it's just like sit down shut up and watch the game <laughs> yeah it it is it is weird i mean lebron after the game seemed to play it, downplay it and say it wasn't a big deal he even said he did not think that uh, the woman should have been ejected um but the internet of course just in the, in the age we are, that we're in a full outrage just disagrees and everyone is just losing it um before i get to whether or not she should be banned um, I do want to say we, we got to find out and I, we, there is a, a, a mic'd up video um, that John boy on Twitter broke down where you can kind of hear some of the things that were said LeBron calls the husband an old steroid ass, which was kind of funny. Um, he does. I can't really, he doesn't have any audio of what was said that sort of started the altercation. But if, if it was that, you know, let's say the husband was just saying LeBron, you suck. Like it, maybe it was worse than that, but if it was that innocuous and then LeBron started just yelling a bunch of crap back at the guy. And then the woman really just stood up and talks trash back to him. I mean, that's, I'm with you. That's a no big deal. Who cares? I mean, it's, it's funny. Um, it doesn't mean it's, it's adult behavior. It's, it's weird that someone would sit courtside and act like that. But, you know, I, I, I kind of like when things get like that. Now we've seen over the last few seasons, there have been incidents where, fans sitting courtside said racist things. And obviously that's a completely different conversation. I think we're all in agreement with how to handle that kind of stuff. Uh, but assuming that none of that was involved here and this was just people talking trash to each other, I think it's funny. Uh, I saw an author at USA Today write this column today saying that the woman needs to be banned for life from NBA games. I mean, that is just insane. 
I don't know about you, but I think that's a huge overreaction. Yeah, that's nuts. And I, again, I think this is just all being amplified because of the current state of spectators at games. Like when you think about it, if LeBron's on the road anywhere, probably no less than like 5,000 people are telling him he sucks. That's just what happens to the best players when they're on the road, you know, in Boston, it's more like 20,000, you know, it's just the fact that no fans really are like such a small amount around like the arenas. Now it's so much easier to pick up these comments. He heard it. He'd probably, you know, it's been a a long time. He's like, Hey, I'm just going to have some fun with this. I mean, like you said, old steroid ass is a pretty funny burn. It's not really trying to like hurt someone's feelings, you know? So like, I think, yeah, I think it was LeBron just having fun. You know, I think once they started standing up and looking more, you know, confrontational, the refs kind of felt inclined to step in, but I don't really think it should have got, I mean, banned for life is absurd. I think even, I think even, you know, ejected from the game, you could argue was a bit much. So yeah, it's, let's move on to something, you know, more interesting. Yeah. And again, there's a line you like, let's not act like, like a child. And towards the end of that thing, I think uh, I, I couldn't really tell what the guy was doing, but the woman, you know, she was throwing up the double bird. She was yelling, uh, you know, she was yelling stuff about COVID. She was screaming all kinds of F-bombs, just being totally ridiculous. So like, you know, let's not act like that, but you know, call again, call me a child too, if you want. But if I'm dropping like 15 grand or 10 grand or whatever it is on a courtside seat, and you're telling me that I can't boo LeBron James and tell him that he sucks, then I don't know. I don't know what we're doing here. Because if, if, if I'm, even if I'm not dropping that much money, just in general as a fan, um, especially fans that aren't, you know, just sort of numb to the whole sports things like us who work in sports media are, you know, fans that don't get to do that kind of, that don't get to do the things that we're lucky enough to do, they go to a Celtics Lakers game. I mean, they should be able to <laughs> totally boo and tell LeBron James he sucks as much as they want within reason. Um, so again, I think maybe this person kind of crossed the line to some degree, but you know, I've seen a lot of talk on Twitter today about people saying, you know, just, you know, fans thinking they have license to just to yell at players or to heckle or to say things like you suck. I mean, so what I, I think it's, you know, you know, common nostalgic, but I, I, I guess I kind of missed the way it used to be where, you know, that was just commonplace and fans would get into it with players and I don't know, it's just. I, th- I think it's been a huge overreaction to the whole thing. Agreed. Yeah. It's, it's part of the game. I think the players enjoy it. So yeah, it's, I think there's definitely room for that in all sports. Yeah. Always room for more drama, even in a, a league like the NBA that does drama better than everybody. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we're out of time. Uh, you know, I uh, hope, hope we hope we gave you a good show. Uh, you know, the Celtics uh, let's see if they can rebound heading into this week after the tough loss against the Lakers, again, a five game road trip looking for them to sort of make a statement uh you know tough tough gauntlet of opponents there but you know we'll see how they do and uh you know we'll be back next week we'll see if alex is back in the fold not sure yet but either way i know adam and i will be and uh we'll have to give you a, a good show next week and uh until next time thank you for listening to the Nesson celtics podcast and we will catch you next week yeah.